Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we continue our series, Party On. Today, Lead Pastor David Fossil shows us how in all the feasting, the ultimate lesson was learn to trust God. We'll discover that increasing trust and faith in God just releases God's blessing in our lives. We get a real attitude adjustment. Listen as Pastor Dave gives us some pointers for enjoying life as we discover the difference between accepting Jesus and obeying Jesus. Good morning, Bay Hills. Grab the study guide that's in your program. If you have a Bible, turn to Leviticus 23, page 120. Grab your phone, turn to Leviticus 23. We're not going to put all the verses up there on the screen. We are in week two in this series called Party On. And I thought one way to start this morning is I, I want to share with you some uh, feasts, some holiday, national holidays around the world that I, I think we would think and we would describe as rather strange, rather bizarre. Let me give you the first one. You probably have heard of the Cheese Rolling Festival in England. You see that? You see the little piece of cheese down there on the bottom left? Every year they have this contest where they roll a cheese down the hill and these guys race down the hill every year, every single year. There are some significant major injuries, shoulders, uh, legs are broken, arms are broken. And every year they decide, ah, what the heck, let's do it again. Every year they do that in England. Let's put this next one up here in Hungary. It's called the Buso Festival. You see how they dress up and they also dress their kids up like this as horned devils. The purpose behind the Buso festival, get this, is to scare away winter. Now, you might think that's strange, but we have Groundhog Day, so we have nothing to complain about, right? They're thinking, what's going on with it? The next three national feasts or holidays, you throw stuff at people. This is in Buñol, Spain. I apologize to all my Hispanics. I couldn't figure out how to do the enye on the end, but Buñol, I know, I'm sorry, Buñol, Spain. What you do there is you throw tomatoes at each other. Sounds kind of fun, right? This next one in South Korea, they throw mud at one another. They have a whole week where they get together and they have all these contests and races. And so this next one is strange to me. It happens in Italy. And in Italy, let's put it up there. They have the Battle of the Oranges. Is it just me? That I think that would hurt. But then I thought, oh, I would invite some people that I want to get, you know, so I would have them and go after them. Now, this next one, okay, this next one is in my neck of the woods, Murcia, Spain. Uh, the guy that is dressed in yellow and red is meant to represent Satan. This is a Roman Catholic festival in, in, in Murcia called El Colacho, right? Now, it, the, the, this feast is all based around a bunch of these guys pretending dressed up like Satan to jump over. Does anybody know what they're jumping over? Anyone? Any guesses? I cropped the picture because I, you're not, I bet you no one would guess it. Huh? Oh, you're close. Let me show you what they're jumping over. <laughs> you guys should visit my country. It's awesome, man. I kid you not. They jump over babies, right? This next picture is even better. Look at it. It's like a steeplechase. <laughs> okay. Now that I have your attention, come back with me, right? That's kind of weird, isn't it? You can look up what the, there's meaning behind that, right? And all these weird 
festivals around the, around the world. You're like, this is bizarre. Honestly, be honest. We think the same thing when we read some of the feasts in the, in the Old Testament. Leviticus 23 is our anchor chapter and it's our anchor chapter because what there's like half a dozen different feasts. And, and, and you're like, what the heck is going on here? There's these, these goats that are sacrificed and then trumpets and then they're waving these branches and you're like, what? is going on here bizarre right but we, we've decided to, to 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 spend some time studying these parties essentially these feasts that god commands his people in the old testament to celebrate uh you know it's easy it's easy for me to to, to just preach the fun stories uh but i don't want us to be one of those churches that avoid some of the harder things and we got to dig deep and drill down and that's what we're having to do in this series, right? Now, if you weren't with us last week, the overview idea of, of, of Leviticus 23 and this whole idea of feasts is, is these two things right here. It's the first idea that we want to make sure to remember and enjoy this life. This life. I, I understand that the gospel message and the thrust of it is the next life, right? You and I get eternal life with God. But, but, but God would say to some of us Christians, goodness gracious, yes. That's the thrust of the gospel message, but you still, I have you in this life and I want you to enjoy this life as well, right? So last week we had some fun and one of our main points was don't be a party pooper, right? Enjoy this life. The second and the one we're really landing on is this idea that we need to remember and in our case, study. What are the meaning? What are the purpose of these feasts, these holidays, these parties? Because underneath these very difficult passages, there is meaning, Something that should, in fact, help you better connect to God, right? Every party, every feast that God has listed in, in, in Leviticus 23, every single one. It, we might not have to do what the, the Jews did in, in the Old Testament because we don't uh, have that race and we're under a new covenant. But underneath, there's symbolism that if you apply, it makes you and God closer. And I'm assuming that's what you want, right? Last week, we looked at the feast or the day of atonement. And the main idea there was, you know, you and I need to make sure we make amends for this thing in, in, in life called sin. And if you do that, and we went through the whole holiday and the feast and what they do and don't do and the different goats and such and how it changes with Jesus. But if you and I do that, you get closer to God. Now, today, if you have your Bibles, what we're going to be doing is we are going to be starting in verse 9. And then chapter in verse 15, chapter 23, looking at three feasts. Three feasts that are really one. You have them on the screen. The first one that is listed starts in verse 9, and we're going to read it in a minute. And it's the Feast of the First Fruits. And really referred to there as the day, in some cases, as the First Fruits. And it is exactly what it sounds like. You have to remember 80%. 80% of the Jews in those days were farmers. Okay? So that, that's kind of like this whole section, Right? All farmers, the entire country relied upon farming. And, and what they would do, this feast of the first fruits started the first time you saw your grapes. The first grapes that came up on the, on the vine. The first olives you saw on the tree. The first oranges that came on, on the tree. That's when it started. The day of the first fruits. And I'm going to explain to you what and why. But then, uh, you all know that the first orange showed up, but it's not ready to be picked. It's not ripe. So now they would transition into what was called the Feast of the Seven Weeks. They would round it up to 50 days. That's going to become important a little later on. 
Why? Because it would take 50 days for these different crops, the wheat and the dates and the pomegranates and the olives and all these different crops, right, to ripen. And then I could pick them as, as a farmer. So I'd have to wait for seven weeks for them all to come about. Eventually, there was one Jew. He's just like, goodness gracious, let's just call it all the Feast of the Harvest. That's just going to be so much simpler, right? Except in the Bible, they keep using all these different terms. All I want you to know is it's the same holiday. It's the, it's a seasonal holiday that lasts about 50 days, seven weeks, right? It's kind of what we do in December, right? Well, the month of December, we celebrate what? Christmas. Even though we know Christmas is just on the 25th, we figured out a way and we're creative. We do, we have holiday parties and church things. We celebrate Christmas the whole month. Well, that's kind of what they did here. It was an agricultural farming holiday. We're going to have to dig deep a little bit because very few of us are farmers. I don't think any farmers here, right? None of us in that country, in that culture, in that day, everything depended on farming. Now, as all the feasts in Leviticus 23, they all have a message. They all have a lesson. I'm going to tell you up front what it is, and we're going to keep hitting it for the next 25 minutes. Here's the lesson right there. Learn to trust God. Would you agree that the more we do that, the better our relationship gets with God? Would you agree? It certainly happens that way with friends. The better they trust each other, the better friends they are. A lot of the marriage counseling that I do is just helping couples renew their trust in one another. Because instinctively, they know, you know, we all know that if a couple, husband and wife, don't trust each other, boy, it's hard to have a healthy, strong marriage. Same thing with you and God. It's going to be very hard for you to have a healthy relationship with God until you trust him. Now, I want you to notice the first word, the word learn. It's not something you just wake up one morning and decide, I trust him. There are levels of trust. And and today, I'm going to try and uptick your trust factor by a little bit. Why? Because I know, and I think you instinctively also know, the more I trust God, the better my relationship is with him. Now, I'm going to show you specifically how they work this out. This next slide shows you the festival of the weeks was the idea that I need to trust that God will provide Now, for them, it was the first line, agriculturally. I'm going to trust as a farmer that all these, the pomegranates and the wheat, and then I got the grapes over here, and I got the raisins, you know, the dates over here, all of it is going to uh, come about. And I trust God about that. If If I don't get these crops to come, I'm in deep trouble. My family of five... We're going to, I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to have to move in with a relative or something because I'm depending on the crops. I trust God to provide agriculturally or for the rest of the harvest. Now, for us, again, we're not farmers. So for us, the application point is materially or finance or financially. You see, what the crop was to the Jewish person in the Bible, the paycheck is to you and I. That's the equivalent. What the crops was for the Jewish person in the Old Testament, the paycheck is for you and I. So this feast, this festival is trying to teach you, trying to teach me, trust him. Trust him to provide for you materially. Trust him to meet your needs. Now, it's going to flesh out for us in Leviticus 23, how? Now, it's going to feel a a little bit challenging, but I'm going to read all the verses listed here from verses 9 to verse 23. You're going to, again, start to read through some of the symbolism 
Some of the things you have to apply right away and some of the things that were clearly just Jewish for them. But it starts with the feast or the day of the first fruits. Verse nine, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites. And I want you to say to them, when you enter the land, I'm going to give you, you reap the harvest. Here comes the emphasis on the crops. Bring to the priest a sheaf of first grain that you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on, on, on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice a burnt offering to the Lord, a lamb, a year old without defect, together with its grain offering of two tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, a food offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma that is a constant theme that comes up, a pleasing offering to God, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hint of wine. You must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is the lasting ordinance for the generations to come whenever you live. That's the feast of the first fruits. Now it transitions, verse 15, this festival of the weeks. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the weave, uh, wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Remember we talked about that emphasis? Notice very quickly how they round it up in verse 16. Count off 50 days. 50 days, going to become significant later on. Up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering uh, of the new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two tenths of an ephah of the finest flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Only time in the entire Bible that an offering, including yeast in the bread, is offered. Only time. I'll explain why that's significant next week when we cover and wrap up the series. Verse uh, 18. Present this bread, seven male, uh, this bread, seven male lambs, each a year old without defect, one young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, a food offering. Here it is again, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for the sin offering, two lambs, each a year old for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering together with the bread of the first fruits. They are a sacred offering to the priest, to the Lord for the priest. On the same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. Be honest. If you've ever done this read through the Bible in a year, some of you have done that read through the Bible in a year. Aren't you gl- aren't you glad when you're done with the book of Leviticus? You're like, thank that was only like half a chapter. And you're like, oh, please, Jesus, end it soon. Right. <laughs> My job is try to sift through for you very quickly what's going on here. And I'm going to hit the highlights. OK, the highlight, the first domino that you need to understand about this feast of the harvest is the principle of the first fruit, the principle of the first fruit. You have time and time and time again, this idea that bring the first grain that you harvest, bring the first fruits to the Lord, bring the bread of the first fruits. They're a sacred offering to the Lord. This first fruits principle is the key to understanding what this agricultural festival is about. Now I'm going to explain to you what the farmers would do. Let's pretend this over here 
is my grape crop. The first time that I see grapes show up on the vine, the first thing that I do is as a farmer, I want to identify it. So what they would do is they would take a little piece of yarn or they would take a reed and they would tie it around the first grapes that they would see. Now, remember, the grapes are not ready to be picked yet. They, they, they're not ripe yet. But as a farmer, I would identify what the first grapes to show up on my field were. Now, if I'm a smart farmer, I don't just depend on the grape crop. I also have a wheat crop. And the first time I see some wheat, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to, again, get some reed, or I'm going to get a little piece of yarn, and I'm going to identify the first piece, the first wheat that shows up on my field. Finally, I've got some olives. And so I go over here and the first time I see olives on the olive tree, what I'm going to do is I'm going to identify the first olives. Now, they are not ready to be picked yet. What are they doing? Why are they doing this? This is what's happening. They have to wait how many weeks? Seven weeks. 50 days for, for the olives and, and for the wheat and for the grapes to all be ready to be collected. I'm going to keep some of it for myself. Most of it I'm going to sell so then I can help my family survive for the rest of the year. But here was the principle. I now know the first grapes, the first wheat, and the first olives that showed up on my field. When they are ready to be picked, the first thing I'm going to do is go back to the first fruits. I'm going to gather them all up. And I'm going to give them to God. The first part of my crop belongs to God. It doesn't belong to me. Now, here's the idea. That's risky as a farmer. It's risky. You you know what instinctively I would do as a farmer? God, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the last part of my crop. Because I'm dependent on these three crops to survive. And God says, no, you remember the lesson I'm trying to teach you? I want you to learn to trust me. And the way you learn to do that, you learn to trust me by giving me what's first, believing I'm going to give you what's next. Trust me. Trust me. It's the principle of the first fruits. Now, if you've been in church any amount of time, does this principle sound familiar to you? If you've been in church any amount of time, you know or you've heard this this idea with another idea that's called the idea of tithing. If you've ever heard this before, at the end, Terrence is going to come back up. uh, Worship leader is going to come back up. And they, at the end of the service, said, okay, we got one more song. It's time to receive our tithes and offerings. We understand the word offering, but the word tithe is two principles. Principle of the first fruits. I just explained to you what it was. The first part of my, my, my grapes, the first part of my wheat, the first part of my olives are not mine. They belong to God. That's principle number one. God is very soon going to add, you know what? I don't just want a handful of olives. I, I, I want you to understand. I want 10%, the first 10%, right? Now, here's the thing. You combine those two together, we call that tithing. You know what's interesting? So many of us, we get caught up on the second principle. 10%, oh my goodness, we start. Do you know how much that is? You want to know what theologians say? The most important principle, the first domino, is the first principle, the first fruits principle. Just for the moment, eliminate the percentage. Forget how much percentage you give to God. Start with... 
Do you give to God first? Before the mortgage, before the car payment, before you put money into the 401k, before you pay for the kid's school, before you pay for the groceries, do you give to God first? That's the principle. That's the principle. Why is it so significant? Because God knows if you give to me first, I know you're growing in your trust factor. You know, there's all kinds of reasons to give or to tithe. Let me show you real quick. I've talked to you about this before. It helps build God's kingdom. It is naive to think that a budget doesn't impact the church. It's naive. I I am not going to be one of those pastors. We are never going to be one of those church where I twist your arm to give. I'm not going to be that guy. But it's naive to think that if we didn't have a bigger budget, we could do more ministry and more events. That's the reality. It does impact God's kingdom. It teaches me to put God first. Deuteronomy chapter 3 says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to put God's first. By the way, you know that God doesn't need your money. You know that, right? He doesn't need your money. You know what he wants? He wants what your money represents. He wants you. He wants all of you. And he knows that if he doesn't have your wallet, he doesn't have all of you. Just be honest. That's the reality, okay? The next one is that it releases God's blessing in my life. Malachi chapter 3 says, God blesses based upon what you do in this area. Now, there's all kinds of discussion about how he blesses. It's very simple. Do you or don't you want his blessing? Because Malachi 3 says this is one of the criteria. The next one is that it has an eternal impact on other people. A couple weeks ago, I've told you this, we had uh, this big event where Mays, this illusionist Christian guy came in in the morning and in the evening. 25 people gave their lives to Christ. Now, real quick, you guys do know that, that that illusionist, that magician guy that showed up with his whole big crew and everything, you realize we had to pay him, right? He didn't just show up because he's got a family he's supporting. Guess how we paid him? How do we pay him? By our offerings, by our tithes. Now, take a step back. Guess what? Because you gave and we were able to bring in this event 25 people's lives changed for eternity. Does that make sense? See, not all of us can go up, go up here and preach. Not all of us can sing. Not all of us can do the magic tricks that that guy can do. But if collectively we give to the kingdom, it makes a difference in people's lives. Now, look at the last one, because this is where I'm going to land. It increases my trust and my faith in God. See, that's the theme of this morning. God wants you to trust him. When I say something to you, believe it. I want you to trust me. And this is one of the key steps that he helps you and me do that. I, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this before to you, uh, but getting saved, it's going to sound weird to say, that was easy for me. It made complete sense. You're right. I'm a scumbag. I got sin in my life. I need Jesus. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. It wasn't that hard for me to make that step. I understood it. You want to know the hardest thing I've ever done in my life as a Christian? Hardest thing I've ever done. Start tithing. Hardest thing I've ever done. It's the biggest step of faith I've ever made. Biggest step I've ever made. Writing a check... When at the time I'm a student and I don't know if we're going to have all the rest of the bills covered and writing that check, trusting God to provide the rest of my harvest. That was hard. 
You know what? I've learned it over the years. Learning this process of trusting. And by the way, a couple years ago, I was at a conference in Texas. And I was driving around in the rental car and I saw a bumper sticker. You'd never see this bumper sticker in the Bay Area. But, you know, Texas is different. And this is what, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just different. The, the, the bumper sticker said this. Tithe if you love Jesus. And I was like, that's awesome. I'm going to buy a hundred of those and hand them out at church, right? <laughs> and then I thought, wait, I actually don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. Tithing has nothing to do with whether you love them or not. Nothing. I have a lot of good friends and Christians that definitely love Jesus, but don't tithe. Tithing has nothing to do with whether you love him, has everything to do with whether you trust him. Give to me first and trust me. Trust me that I'm going to provide the rest of your crops. Trust me that I'm going to take care of the rest of your bills. Trust me. I told you I've learned over the years. Let me get, I have all kinds of stories that, and many of the people around you also have, they have the same stories. I was a college freshman at Westmont in Santa Barbara. I was there on a soccer scholarship. I was saving up to buy a really nice Westmont embroidered jacket I'd seen at the college bookstore. It, you know, those things are pretty expensive. It was like 65, 70 bucks, right? And I'm a college student. My parents are in Spain. I don't have a lot. I'm like, I'm going to get that. I'm going to kind of, kind of save up a little bit, right? So I, I'm waiting to buy it, right? And uh, one particular Sunday, there was a missionary speaking at the church that I attended. So I was like, I don't normally go Sunday night, but this guy sounds kind of interesting. So I went and listened to the missionary. And man, this guy was the bomb. He was awesome. And his ministry was incredible. And I was like, I like this guy. And uh, the pastor got up right after him and said, you know what? This guy's awesome. We're going to take, we weren't planning this. We're going to take an offering for him. And everyone was like, yeah, let's take an offering for him. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to throw some bucks in this. This is good, right? So the, uh, you know, they pray for the offering. The ushers start coming down with the buckets. I grab my wallet, pull it out. And I notice at that time, I only have one $50 bill. So I have two options. I give it all or I give nothing. And the first thing I thought of, but I want that sweatshirt. I want that jacket. Right. And this is part of it that's going to go toward that. Right. And, and now my palms are sweating because the ushers are coming down and they're getting closer to me. You know, for a half a second, I thought, well, maybe I can make change. You know, have you ever, have you ever thought of that? I'll put 50 in, take 30 out. You know, have you ever come on? By the way, we're Richmond. You can do that. This is cool here at Richmond. Right. If you want. So, <laughs> I mean that in a good way. So anyway, the ushers are coming down. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to give it all. And I felt good about it. But I knew, I knew giving it meant I was going to delay or eliminate getting that jacket. I just, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of money, right? Two days later, two days later, right after two and a half, three hours of soccer practice, I want to run and get a shower, get some dinner and start studying because that was my afternoon soccer, right? And my coach, he gets the whole team together and he says, you know what? When we go on away games, when we get in the bus and, and, and travel to go play another team, we look like slobs. And I want us to look more professional. So I've bought everyone on the team and he pulled out the jacket from the store. Everybody get your size before you leave. Let me ask you a question. What do you think that did to my faith? It's scar rock. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are like, it was just coincidence. It may have been. 
But you know what I think? I think we have a kind of God that pulls off those kinds of stunts. Do you know why? Because he desperately wants you to trust him. When I say something about relationships, trust me. When I say something about career, trust me. When I say something about certain things called sin, trust me. When I say certain things about money, trust me. Trust me. I've got a better way to live than the world has. Trust me that I know better. I made this whole thing called earth. Trust me. And he's desperate to try and increase our faith or our trust. In your study guide, I have down, I call them prerequisites. Just call them side notes. They're just interesting things in the story. Let me show you real quick. It's the pilgrimage, the corners of the field, and attitude adjustment. Pilgrimage, I don't have the time, um, but this, this is one. I mean, they had like 15, 20 different holidays and festivals. This is only one of three one of only three Jewish festivals where the Jews were instructed to go to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage. In other words, I have to go to the temple, which was God's hot spot of where he lived in those days. I got to go be with God. In other words, the idea is there. You need to take the first step. You need to initiate contacting and, and, and connecting with God. Now, some of us are here today and you might think, you know what? I want to, but I don't feel that close to God. Ever felt that way? I want to. I don't feel that close to God. Let me give you a small little hint about what might be happening. It's kind of like the, the couple who's sitting in the pickup truck. They've had it for 30 years. It's the old pickup truck with bucket seats. You know, he's driving. She's on the other side by the window on the passenger seat. And she goes, look at us. He's like, what? Look at us. You're sitting there and I'm sitting way over here. Remember when we were dating? Remember when we first got married? We'd sit right next to each other in the pickup truck. You'd have one hand on the wheel and one hand around me. What happened to us? The guy very cleverly said, you know, all I can tell you is I haven't moved in all those years. I'm, I'm still right here. And God would say the same thing to some of you. I haven't moved. I, I have, I'm still right here. You need to take the first step. You want me to provide? He says, you take the first step. It, you, you, you bring the first fruits. You start. It's, it's the idea of the pilgrimage. The second one, did, I didn't read it. I left it. Did you catch the end? Look at your, your Bibles again. Leviticus 23, 22. It's not just about God providing for you. Check this out. When you reap the harvest, in other words, when after the seven weeks and 50 days, when all the crop comes in, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field. What? Or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor or the foreigners, literally the undocumented. In other words, when I'm collecting all my crops, that the edge, the edge of my crop I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm just going to leave that there. You know why? Because I'm going to, I'm going to let the poor get that. I'm going to try and help them out. I'm going to give them a hand. And God would say to us, it's not just about me helping you. It's about you looking around and realizing there are other people around us that are in deeper trouble than we're at. You want me to help you? Then how about you use just a corner of your field, just a corner of your crop, just a corner of your paycheck to help someone else. It's this idea of the corners of the field. And then the last one, the attitude adjustment. 
You know, it's interesting because, again, remember that it's a pilgrimage. They're going to Jerusalem. And there are passages and there are stories of how when in this case, right, when they would go to Jerusalem, it was like a party. I mean, a big time party. There, there was singing and there was dancing and there was streamers and everybody was it was crazy. It's interesting. I, I think I have it in your study guide. Yep. Second Corinthians chapter nine. The Apostle Paul, when he's talking about the same principle, says, you know what? I also want you to give cheerfully. Don't give reluctantly. Five, six years ago, when I was on one of my trips to Africa, uh, right after I had done the sermon, the pastor came up and he said, it's offering time. And spontaneously, the whole church started clapping and cheering. Like, yeah, this is the best time in the service, offering time. We don't do that. Some of us are like, let's leave now while he's praying. <laughs> Quick, while they're all got their eyes closed. You know, we could see you back there, by the way, right? We say bye to you on the way out. <laughs> God says, you know, forget the first fruits. Forget the 10%. If you're giving with a grumpy attitude, keep your check for yourself. Does my kingdom no good? Does you no good? You want God to provide? There's this idea of trust me. I, I know, no, I know your, your palms are going to get sweaty. I know it's going to create nerves. Trust me. Trust me. Now, I could end right now and let you go home early, but you know me. That's not going to happen. I want you to go to Acts chapter 2. Go to Acts chapter 2, New Testament. I don't have a page number, but this is one of those times this week, right at the end of my study time this week, I was almost ready to wrap this whole sucker up. And I, I bumped into something that spoke of another feast in the New Testament. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I thought we were just going to cover the feast of the harvest. Just chill. Stay with me for a second. In Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two, verse one, we have this feast or this day. And it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So we've spent some time talking about this feast of the harvest, Leviticus 23. Why the heck am I going to Acts chapter 2? Well, I, I want to I help you understand. When I'm, when I'm studying my Bible, I, don't, I never use this one right here. This is my, what I call my preaching or my teaching Bible. So I underline certain words that I'm going to talk to you about. And I've got crazy notes on the side. Make sure you tell them this story and so on and so forth. This is my teaching Bible. During the week, I use a study Bible that I've had for about 30 years. I can't get rid of it. I've rebound it like three times. I know there's newer, nicer Bibles out. I just, it's mine. I got all the underlines and the highlights and the, I can't get rid of it, right? And just as I was reading Acts chapter 2, because the study had taken me there, I went down to the study notes. And that's why I highly recommend study Bibles, right? So Leviticus 23, it pushed me to Acts chapter 2. And this is what the study note said. I took a picture of it. Chapter 2, verse 1, book of Acts, day of Pentecost. The 50th day after Sabbath. Remember we kept talking about 50? The word Pentecost in Greek means 50. The 50th day after the Sabbath of Passover week. Now notice the reference, Leviticus 23, 15 and 16. We just read that. That's just where we spent the last 20 minutes. Thus, the first day of the week, here it comes, Pentecost is also called the Feast of Weeks, Deuteronomy 16, the Feast of Harvest, Exodus 23, 
and the day or the feast of the free first fruits, Numbers 28. Here's what's going on. Feast of the first fruits, feast of the harvest, feast of the weeks. That's the Hebrew term. Feast of Pentecost is the Greek term. It's the same party. It's the same feast. Except that it gets supercharged in Acts chapter 2. What have we been talking about so far? Trust God. Trust him materially. Trust him to provide for you. This feast of Pentecost, it's the same thing as Leviticus 23, but supercharged. Let me show you what I mean. Festival of weeks, trust God materially and financially. Festival of the Pentecost, Jesus changed and God changed the meaning ever so slightly. I want you to trust that I'm going to provide for you spiritually and emotionally. And I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that we have a God that just doesn't pay my bills. He also cares about how I feel. And that's what's happening in Acts chapter four, uh, chapter two. Just real quick, I'm just going to add to it. We're not going to spend too much time. Let's read these verses. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from the heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, this sounds like a crazy small group. I would not sign up for it again. Wind is coming down. People look like they're in flames, right? But it's this major transition time in the Bible between how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, between the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, right? Between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's all happening right here in Acts chapter 2 in verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Trust me, God says. Trust me to provide for you financially and materially. We're going to call that the first fruits. I want you to bring your first fruits in. Trust me to provide for you spiritually and emotionally. You're bummed out? Trust me. You're discouraged? Trust me. You're depressed? Trust me. You have anxiety? Trust me. How am I going to meet those needs? Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Now, you know what? I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church. We talked a lot about God the Father. We talked a lot about Jesus, right? That's coming up the next couple of weeks, Easter. We don't seem to talk about the Holy Spirit that much. And yet when you read scripture, you read the New Testament, it's the Holy Spirit that's ministering to us emotionally, that's ministering to us spiritually. Let me show you this next slide. Let's put it up there. Here's what I'm going to do. Uh, benefits of the Holy Spirit. He encourages us. He guides us. He convicts us. He corrects us. He empowers us. He purifies us. Now, if you're honest, I know I just threw them up there real quick. Some of us are looking at that screen going, I'm not getting all of that. Why don't I get some of that? What do I got to do? Why do I get some of that? Right? It's like the guy who wanted to get in shape and lose some weight. So he buys a treadmill. And two, two months later, he brings it back to the store. He says, I want to return it. The salesman goes, well, why? What was wrong with it? Did it not work? He goes, I don't know. I never used it. All I know is I never lost any weight. <laughs> Some of us are doing the same thing with the Holy Spirit. Oh, we know about the Holy Spirit. We read about the Holy Spirit. We take notes on the Holy Spirit, but you haven't gone on the treadmill. Does that make sense? You, you don't get that until you work it a little bit. Last thing I'm going to show you, I think, I hope this makes sense. It's a little graph. It's not in your study, guys. I don't care if you write this down or not. I just want you to get it. The difference between accepting Jesus, that's called salvation, 
and obeying Jesus. That's called discipleship. Let me break down for you and compare these for you because it's very important you understand this. Let's put the answers up there. Uh, in the New Testament, and if you want to talk more about this, email me. I'd love talking about this stuff. When you accept Jesus, the term there, the doctrinal term is being baptized in the Holy Spirit. When you obey Jesus, that's called filling of the Holy Spirit. Words matter. And baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same thing as filling of the Holy Spirit. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we call that salvation. When you obey Jesus and you yield your life to God, we call that sanctification. That, that's a fancy word that means change. I'm changing. I don't cuss as much as I used to. And I don't drink as much as I used to. And my I've changed anger and I've replaced it with patience. I'm changing. I'm being sanctified. I'm becoming who God always intended me to become. That's called sanctification. Last one. Here's the key one. When you accept Jesus, we say that the Holy Spirit lives in you. I, I know. I, I know. You remember growing up in Sunday school? And the Sunday school teacher would ask, tell you, do you want to invite Jesus into your heart? You know that technically and doctrinally, that's not how it works. You yield your life to Jesus and you know, you want to know the one that really lives in your heart. It's the Holy Spirit. I, I'm not going to go into Sunday school classes and get on people's kids, but it's the Holy Spirit that lives and dwell in you. That's the, that's what the scripture says. If you accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. If you obey Jesus, here it comes. The Holy Spirit helps you. That was the last slide. He strengthens you. He empowers you. He encourages you. He convicts you. He convicts you. He changes you. That's obeying him. That's him changing you. That's him transforming you. Now, I'm going to end with this illustration and I'm going to let you go. I want you to pretend for the next couple moments that each of these pictures of water represent different people. The water on the inside represents their character, represents their spirit, represents who they are. Okay. Three different people. Someone except Jesus is their Lord and Savior. Just for the sake of this illustration, don't let it freak your mind out. The Holy Spirit is represented by Kool-Aid. Okay. I know. Not very biblical, but it'll make sense here in a second. Here's the Holy Spirit. If you do the left side of the screen, you accept Jesus. What does that mean with the Holy Spirit? He starts to live in you, right? So when the Holy Spirit lives in you, is the Holy Spirit living in this person? Yes. You know what this means to this person? They get to spend eternity with God in heaven. That a good thing? Thumbs up. You're saved. You get an eternity with God for the rest of your life. Hot dog, free donuts for you, right? <laughs> Holy Spirit living inside of you. Here's the thing, though. That's the left side of the screen. I'm talking about the right side of the screen. Do you trust God to provide for you emotionally? This is him providing for your spirit eternally. Do you want him to provide for you emotionally and spirit? The Holy Spirit isn't meant to work like this. The Holy Spirit is intended to work a little different in your life. When the Holy Spirit comes in you and you obey and you yield your life to God. It's supposed to look different to the world. The Holy Spirit is living in both of these people. Both of them have the Holy Spirit in them. This one's changing. This one's different. You want to know what freaks the world out? This person says, I believe in God. 
I believe in Jesus. I occasionally read my Bible. Every once in a while I go to church. But when they compare them to someone else who never goes to church, doesn't care about Jesus, and never reads their Bible, they kind of look like the same person. You know why? Because some of us aren't doing the right side of the screen. Oh, you're saved. No, I'm, I'm really, really happy about that. But just be honest, you haven't been changed by the Holy Spirit. Again, you're doing porn just as much as everyone else's. You cuss just as much as everyone else's. You cheat on your taxes just as much as everyone else's. Just be honest. You're not that different than people who never show up to church. But I'm trying to help you. God actually wants to help. He wants to change you, but you know what it requires? Trust me. Trust me. When I tell you to do something, there's a reason behind it. So just ask yourself real quickly, which one of these pictures do you represent? If this is you, maybe today your day is just to do the left side of the screen. I want to get saved. If this is you, I'm glad you're saved. But you're not being transformed by God. And if this is you, you need to try and help me convince the other people that this is the way God wants us to live. Here's our summary slide. Trust God. I told you at the beginning, that's the whole point of this feast. Trust God. Trust him when it comes to the first fruit pinch of principle, give to God first. I really mean it. I do think that there's a percentage behind what God wants us to give. But for the moment, throw that out. Just focus on before I do anything else, I'm going to give to God first. Just start there. Take a baby step. See what happens. See what happens. Second of all, uh, trust God in this idea of Acts chapter 2, filling of the Holy Spirit, and obey him. You know what? I, I don't know what God's been asking you and telling you to do. For each of us, it might be a little different. I'm going to end the way I started. When he says something, trust him. Don't trust me. Trust him. Let's pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want you to take a minute. I want you to think through, why did God want me in church this morning? What did he want me to hear? What one thing am I going to do different based upon what I heard this morning? I want you to take a moment to think that through. And whatever that is, I want you to take a moment and I want you to tell that to your God. My decision today. Go ahead and do that. Dear Heavenly Father, you know that this week, while I enjoyed my study, there's always challenges reading this book of Leviticus and trying to bring it, bring it to today. And I, I know as I was studying, something clicked. 
And I realize those farmers living in the Old Testament, they're really no different than us. We're all concerned about our bills. We're concerned about making sure the needs of our family members are taken care of. Especially when when we add it all up, it doesn't always seem like the paycheck's going to cover all of it. Father, you've reminded us today to trust you. Father, I know that you've spoken to many people here in this just principle of first fruits. Not even tithing, just first fruits is tough for some of us. Father, I'm asking that you would encourage them to take this step boldly, to try it and see the difference that it really makes in our lives. Father, second of all, right at the end, when you opened up what's going on in Acts, for those of us that are struggling emotionally, remind us that the difference that your Holy Spirit makes only happens when we yield our life to him only happens when we obey only happens when we apply your word it's not enough to know it intellectually we must implement it practically practically heavenly father we're thankful for your word we're thankful for even difficult passages have day-to-day application for us we love you we pray all this in jesus name It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.